we now enter the realm of hope, right? Purgatory, fine, but it's a realm of hope. There's a way out, right? Once you're in the inferno, you don't get out. So that's what we're hoping. So the, the perspective that we represent, and I, have, I, I looked, I wanted to obviously preen myself as much as I could. How long have I been talking about this? I came up with 12 years, which is not that bad, huh? 2004, as you'll see, I was hoping that that would turn out to be a uh, party realignment. The only way to get out of this predicament that we have here in the United States is, in our view, the destruction of the Republican Party as an absolutely worthless and negative relic of barbarism, certainly. And then, when it comes to the Democratic Party, there are viable elements in it, but you've got to split it in order to make those uh, viable. So that's what we're attempting to do. Now, these tasks, of course, are far beyond the ability of some individual or small group. But what we think is that we've identified a tendency in the real world which we ought then to catalyze. We invite you to join with us, right? We're here to recruit for the Tax Wall Street Party, okay? We're looking for cadre. We're looking for volunteers. This is, the next six months are going to be the most important time of anybody's life in the need of stopping the Nazi Trump and pursuing the rest of these other uh, tasks. Uh, but of course, it depends on the fact that we've identified something that's going on to some extent. What we need is more people who know what's going on. In other words, more people who know that the name of the game is not stopping this or that candidate. The name of the game is obviously to defeat uh, Trump, but in the context of this uh, party realignment, we want to tell you all about what that, what that means. Now, this has always been our idea, right? That Samson bringing down the Temple of the Philistines on their heads, and if you know any Republicans, man, are they Philistines, culturally, of course. Uh, the Koch brothers, yeah. Mayor Koch. Yeah. He's putting on airs, huh? Huh? They wish. I think they're covered with something else. I'm not going to say it. Huh? So, uh, here he is. Right? All of these, these wretched Philistines down here. Uh, he's bringing down the Temple of the Philistines. And I think there's actually there's a dimension of that that uh, got lost. So Trump. He can be the wrecker. The party realignment. I'm going to tell you in a minute what a party realignment is, in case it's not clear. But first of all, the extinction of the Republican Party as a national party. Fragments will, of course, remain. There will be fragments in the Deep South, in rural America, of Intermountain West. It'll be a party of bigots, of racists, of xenophobes, and, and all the rest, right? People who are culturally, I think, sincerely unfit for the 21st century. People who are sincerely bewildered by what they see, and they're very afraid. The split of the Democrats then into, fall into a pro-Wall Street faction of Clinton, Schumer, Pelosi, Durbin, and so forth, and we hope a New Deal pro-labor anti-Wall Street faction, which is today arrayed around Bernie Sanders. I'm afraid this is not a long-term leadership solution because of his age, because of his other qualities. But we want to join that, and quite frankly, we want to lead it, because we have program, we have organization, we have a strategy. Now, if you want to be a scholar, you got to look at the essay by V.O. Key, a critical theory of uh, a theory of critical re uh, elections, published in the Journal of Politics, 1955. So, if you look at American history, it can be understood as a series of phases, each starting with a critical watershed election, and each one marked by a majority party and a minority party, with exceptions from time to time. Among the phases, some of them are successful. The Lincoln Republicans, the New Deal, those were successful. Some were disastrous. The wrecking of the United States by Jackson, who needs to get his mug off any money and thrown into the, the underworld. And the, uh, the terrible time that we've all had 
1968 to 2008 party system was a disaster. That's called the Republican Southern strategy. Okay? So some can be good, some can be bad. We're hoping for a good one. All right? There are also uh, the moments when different parties disappear. Right? The Federalists died. The Know-Nothings died. The Whigs died. It's time for the Republicans to die in that sense. Decent burial. So those are your critical watershed elections. Jacksonian democracy, a disaster, slide into civil war. Lincoln, terrible tragedy, but a victory. 1896, sort of half and half. 1932, one of the most successful. 1968, a disaster. And 2008. And we're still trying to pull ourselves out of the previous phase with Obama, who has turned out to be a very uneven, shaky kind of uh, guide. Now, there are plenty of symptoms of this. I shouldn't be telling you anything new. If you watch the news, you can see that the Republican Party has split. They give two responses to the State of the Union, two debates before Iowa. They have a constant flow of articles about the extinction of the Republican Party. We have these unprecedented attacks by Romney and the other traditional reactionaries on the fascist Trump. We have never Trump stopped Trump, and we have reports that 15% to 25% of the Republican base will not vote for Trump. The Republican Party is otherwise demographically doomed. They are anathema to all the, ma the major growing groups, be they the millennials, the blacks, the Hispanics, uh, and so on down the line, to suburban women, to any person with a shred of decency, really, but that's a different story. So uh, there's also a, an ideological crisis. Nobody cares about Republican ideology. That means Buckley and uh, trickle-down economics and things like this. Now, Democratic Party, not quite as far advanced, but getting there. We have the tremendous acrimony between the Clintons and the Sanders people. We have the fact that there are, you can see the lines, pro-Wall Street, anti-Wall Street. One, one candidate attacks Wall Street all the time, the other candidate takes money from Wall Street. And we just had the Nevada Convention. Oh my heavens, I speak as a veteran of the Chicago Convention, 1968, gassed at Michigan and Balbo. And I can tell you this, this was penny-ante stuff with the Nevada State Convention. But, uh, the left libs are screaming, you know, the controlled media are screaming about uh, what went on, and, uh, and there is something to it. We have the July Convention coming up. Yeah, sure, absolutely, but that's what we're working for. Now here we have your hometown picture newspaper reminding you that the Republican Party is a cadaver. And there it is, Republican Party, 1854 to 2016. We are gathered here to mourn the GOP. So it started with uh, Fremont and Seward, New York State, and Lincoln, and uh, now it is this thing, and this is good riddance, I'm sorry. Now look, this is very important for everyone, I would submit. The naive view of politics as compared to the world historical view. The naive view is fixated on individual personalities and fixated on the horse race among the individual personalities. This is a complete waste of time. And they do it on television to try to dupe you. Because they show you sports events and they say, hey, choose sides. And the same thing in this case. But we want to introduce you to the idea, not of rooting for one team or the other, but rather to re-engineering the entire playing field. You get it? A successful party realignment tilts the whole playing field in the direction of good or evil. There's no other way to put it, uh, economically at least, I mean, short terms. We need a successful party realignment, and today that can only occur through the extinction of the Republican Party. And look, some people say, yeah, but I hate Hillary Clinton more. Well. Suppose in 1941, after Pearl Harbor, right, President Roosevelt sits down and he says, what are we going to do? Is it going to be Germany first or Japan first? Because you can't do both. 
And then he said, somebody says, well, I really hate uh, Japan. That would have been the, the vote, right? If they'd taken a vote, they would have said, Pearl Harbor, everybody hates Japan, Japan first. Except, bad idea. Because then the Soviets would have gone under, British Empire would have gone under, and you're looking at 10 million dead. So, Germany first. You can't make strategy based on whom you hate more. That is no generalship, right? So we have a lot of idiots, our COINTELPRO practitioners, <laughs> who don't see it that way. Now, do I have to, for such a humane and enlightened audience as we have here today, why should the Republican Party be destroyed? Better you should ask, why should it be saved? It's easier. Two Gulf Wars, 9-11 on his watch, Hurricane Katrina, the crash of 2008, the sequester with Satan's sandwich of cuts, cutting Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, stripping you, genocide against the American people, food stamps, cutting your food stamps. Here we go. Superstorm Sandy, very touchy here in New York. Zika funding, this is really serious now. Right? They go on vacation and they don't vote the funds for Zika. Hi, Bob. Uh, Puerto Rico, they won't, they got, they, the Puerto Rico has to have a debt freeze. Total cancellation of the debts. Supreme Court nominations under the control of the rats cabal, but they won't vote on them. A barbaric and backward outlook. The Republican Party is, generally speaking, an albatross when it comes to scientific research. A space program. One day the Chinese are going to be on the moon, and these SOBs of the Republican Party are going to say, it's time for war. Wait a minute, it's not time for war. It's time to get there first. And you can do that right now. It's easy. Space program. National Institutes of Health. They won't fund it, right? They take money from Ebola for, for Zika. Generally speaking, a roadblock to human progress, a national disgrace, something that's painful for every person, right? The Republican Party must be destroyed. You know the the famous story of Cato the Elder, that austere statesman of ancient Rome and the late Roman Republic. And that he felt so strongly about Carthage that he would get up every time and he'd say, Carthaginos, Carthaginem delendam esse opinor, right? So I'm here to say, Republicanos delendos esse opinor. I'm telling you, the Republicans have to be wiped out. Political memes, of course. Now, here's my 1994 chart, 19, sorry, 2004 chart that I'm proud of. We can see the cycles, year by year, first party, second, first party system, second party system, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. We're now into the seventh. And what they are, right? So you've got a watershed election, dominant party, minority party, exceptions, there are exceptions, and comments. Remember, this is not a determinism, huh? It's a tendency. It's the way to tilt the playing field. It's not something that forces anybody to do anything. So you'll see you have the, the first system with the Jeffersonians against the Federalists. Secondly, the disaster of Jacksonian democracy, great way to have a civil war. The Union, finally, with Lincoln asserted. Then we get the Republican Party being more interested in gold than in other values. 1932 to 68, the New Deal Democrats and 68 to 08, as it turned out, this was too soon, the Southern Strategy Republicans. So you'll notice there are these exceptions, right? Uh, for example, oh, what the heck, uh, maybe uh, Woodrow Wilson, how about that? He's a big, bad exception. A Republican time, but he gets to come in there after Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt uh, split the party. And here's where we are now. Now this part is, this is, a, this is an alternative. See, I have two possibilities for 2008 to 2048 or thereabouts, right? Is it going to be some kind of normalcy? In other words, a return to normal world standards of civilization and actually better than normal by destroying the Republican Party? Or are you going to realign into fascism with Trump, the Nazi? So, uh, in 08, it can be the Democrats uh, dominant and then splitting into the two camps, the pro-Wall Street Democrats and the anti-Wall Street ones. 
uh, or which would then lead to the extinction of the Republican Party by the next presidential election, or bad alternative, Trump fascist Republicans win, Democrats are repressed by controlling the Senate, the House, the Supreme Court through the appointments, and the presidency. That's going to be a totalitarian dictatorship of Trump leading to a Republican dictatorship post-2017. That's the bad scenario. So focus on the big picture. The big picture means which way is the playing field tilted, not individual players. That's for the Mickeys, right? That gets you uh, no place fast. Now, just a I can't go through all these now. I urge you, the best seats are always in the front. The first party system, of course, started when Jefferson tried to sabotage Hamilton's Bank of the United States. Without the Bank of the United States, there'd be no country here. The British actually had a uh, death watch going. So we had to have a Bank of the United States. That's the Hamilton-Jefferson one. The libertarians and other ignoramuses are always on the Jefferson side. They are wrong. Hamilton is the man. He was always the man. Jefferson, New Yorker, of course, right? Native son. Jefferson and Madison represented slave power. That's what they thought. They say, oh, uh, an idyllic agrarian paradise. So it means slavery. That's what Jefferson means. Hamilton represents modernization and anti-slavery. He was not, not only did he have no slaves, but he was an activist to abolish slavery, an abolitionist. The Federalists, of course, are another story. They degenerated very rapidly, became a bunch of plutocrats, and they held the Hartford Convention because they wanted to secede from the United States during the War of 1812. Bad news. The big villain of this party system is Gallatin. Albert Gallatin, Secretary of the Treasury. Go to Washington, look at the Treasury. His statue is out in front. He wrecked American defenses for the War of 1812. They would not pay for an army and a navy. Why? Because the southern slaveholders didn't want an army powerful enough to come and abolish slavery, as it then turned out a little bit later. The Federalists became extinct as a national party by 1816. So it is possible to get rid of a long-standing political party, wouldn't you find? And then you get this illusory era of good feelings. Maybe if we defeat Trump, we might be able to have an era of good feelings <laughs> ourselves here for a while. But not with Trump, sorry. No good feelings with that guy. The second system, now this is much mythologized. I'm afraid the Democratic Party, even under Roosevelt, has been really criminally irresponsible in promoting Jefferson, the Jefferson Memorial. There should not be a Jefferson Memorial. It's just the Democrats were sitting there. You have to understand, for the whole 19th century, the Democrats were the bad guys. The Democrats were the bad guys from Jefferson until Franklin D. Roosevelt. Always the Democrats as the bad guys, right? In those days it said rum, Romanism and rebellion, right? Confederacy. So there's all this mythology around, around uh, Jackson. Now the story here, though, is Jackson takes power, dominates the Whigs. The Whigs were never coherent as a party. They were just the anti-Jackson people. And what you have to understand about Jackson is he's a great populist, right? He's a real rebel rouser, except that he's owned by John Jacob Astor. John Jacob Astor, the banker from New York City, Go downtown to Astor Place. I went through there today myself. John Jacob Astor, the richest banker in the United States, the richest person in the United States. And this is the big enemy story, is that John Jacob Astor doesn't like the Bank of the United States because he thinks it's a way for him not to get his business. So we have this kitchen cabinet, Van Buren, that was the New York City labor machine, the Albany Regency, for Jackson, and this guy here, Taney, Tawney, anybody know who that is? That's the guy who wrote the Dred Scott decision, saying black people have no rights. Isn't that great? Look at that wonderful Jacksonian democracy. Now the exceptions here are the two Whig war heroes, Harrison and Zachary Taylor, but they went to pieces. The Whigs collapsed 
The Whigs were fading, and they made a bid for Irish votes, Irish immigrant votes, and that blew up the party. Then came the know-nothings, who came and went. It's a four-year period where the, the know-nothings, Samuel F.B. Morse, a very bad guy, so-called American party, they come out of nowhere, they look like they're going to seize power, and then they're gone again. Guess what that might be? That might be Trump coming out of nowhere, a tremendous ascendancy, a big flash, and then gone. Okay? So the Republicans actually start in 54, but in terms of the presidency, it's this. Okay, this is now the third party system, 1860 to 1896. The Lincoln Republicans dominate the Copperhead and Doughface Democrats. A Doughface was somebody like you know, Newt Gingrich, a northern man with sort of Confederate uh, Southern principles. So Lincoln was finally able to uh, implement the Hamilton-Clay American system with a protective tariff, infrastructure, and greenbacks as a controlled currency. That's a winning policy combination. That's what you need to have. That's pretty much what we stand for today. So the U.S. surpasses the British as the greatest economic power, but unfortunately, the gold bugs infect everything. The Specie Resumption Act and the Coin Act, otherwise known as the Crime of 1873, create the cross of gold. And it's, it's really ironic that these ignorant libertarians tell us that the good guys in American history are interested in gold, because they're not. This was the whole big issue was that the farmers were being looted by this gold power. The fourth system, this is the Wall Street Republicans now dominating the Tammany and Southern Democrats, U.S. economy controlled by trusts, cartels, monopolies. The exceptions are also bad. This is, a, this is not such a great time. Grover Cleveland, governor of New York, huh? governor of New York, hated because he kowtowed to Wall Street. Kowtowed, kowtowed. He refused to do anything to save people when they were starving in the 1890s. And then we get Woodrow Wilson, Confederate governor of New Jersey, with the Federal Reserve System. So that's a whole party system. With, again, the Republicans tend to win, but there are these exceptions. Uh, in that same system, here are the Republican uh, presidents. McKinley, not that bad. Theodore Roosevelt, very bad. Harding, bad. Uh, I think we've left out uh, Taft, so we'd like to have Taft here. Taft was actually not that bad. Yes, after Roosevelt. Uh, no, uh, yes, after, yes. sorry. Okay. Now, the fifth. This, of course, is uh, one of the very best, maybe the best. The New Deal Democrats. It means the New Deal Democrats tend to win elections. The Republicans are marginalized where they belong. So this is the most successful anyway. It defeats the Great Recession, the Great Depression at home. It defeats fascism, Nazism, militarism, holds off communism, the moonshot, all kinds of scientific progress, and so forth. Now let's look a little bit about the coalitions. We haven't been able to do that because it's not so meaningful. But the New Deal, what was it? Solid South. It's obviously a compromise, right? These are, these are the Dixiecrats until uh, about 1937. The Dixiecrats left Roosevelt after the uh, beginning of the uh, second term. Big city democratic machines, trade unions, black community intellectuals. That was a winning national coalition. And Newt Gingrich is on record saying the purpose of his life is to smash the continuity of that national coalition. And of course, Roosevelt won landslide victories with high turnout, what Bernie talks about. But again, Bernie not exactly delivering on all of that, but doing the best he can, I suppose. Now here's the one that we've all lived through, or at least many of us. This is the Southern strategy. This, of course, is two things happening. Lyndon B. Johnson accepted the war in Vietnam. This was suicidal. And the Nixon-Strom Thurmond deal at the Miami Convention, 1968. The Republicans pledged to sabotage racial desegregation and the civil rights laws. 
And they say to the Dixiecrats, don't be a Dixiecrat, come and be a Republican. And that's where they've been ever since. Another reason why this party must be destroyed. So it's a 40-year backlash against Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement. The guy who wrote this book, The Emerging Republican Majority, he's actually one of my many plagiarists. You know, he took all kinds of things from my book while insulting me. He said I was a paranoid, but he copied what I wrote. Uh, and then, what is the, what's the composition here? Now, I, I couldn't resist putting in vindictive, but white men, southerners, evangelical Christians, so-called, rural America, farmers, you know, south, intermountain, west, married women. That's the ruling coalition. That's what I meant. The Republican candidate would start off with almost 150, 180 electoral votes, and then compete after that. So this has been a very bad time. Labor in retreat, law, uh, wars lost, cultural degradation, trade union movement reduced almost nothing. So that has been hell on earth. Now, with uh, Obama in 2008, and again, I say this structurally. This does not depend so much on what did Obama say on this or that issue? But in terms of the tilting of the playing field, the chance is there to say, well, the Republicans are going to tend to be, tend to be demographically doomed, and therefore we can see our way out of it. Now, I, this is too long to read, but in 2004, I was hoping that after the first term of Bush the Younger, the party realignment would kick in. Right? So I say, it could have been a 36-year cycle, right, 1968 to 2004. Uh, most signs did point to a decisive defeat of the Bush Republicans, but the main wild card, fact, wild card factor, which could abort the emerging progressive realignment, is pro-Bush vote fraud, made possible by CIA covert operations conducted with through Diebold, Diebold, and other electronic voting machines. And of course, we're joined by the eminent uh, expert Bob Fetrakis, uh, who was uh, who's been fighting along this line for a long time. So this is where it really made a difference. There could have been a party realignment already in 2004, but you know that uh, you know you've seen the lose with Cruz uh, sign lately. There was one that said Kerry sucks less, which I saw in Los Angeles. Okay, here we go. <laughs> the wrecking ball. He comes in like a wrecking ball. If we play this right, he can destroy the Republican Party, right? And you can see what he's got on his mind. <laughs> now, the seventh party system. Here we go. The GOP has become extinct. The New Deal Democrats dominate the Wall Street Democrats. The Republican Party died of reactionary extremism, the fascism of Trump. Hostility to blacks, Latinos, Muslims, Asian immigrants, young people. Advocacy for the 1% and billionaires, right? So the collapse of the Republicans, followed by a democratic schism, like the great schism of the Eastern and Western churches. Wall Street Democrats versus New Deal, anti-Wall Street Democrats. Now, that future is what you've got to keep your eyes on, right? That's where you've got to got to get, and it, means, it obviously means a crushing defeat for Trump if we can do it. Now today, we can see the structure of the Republican Party, and we're looking, we, want, we don't want to describe it, we want to smash it. So this is sort of an activist analysis. Wall Street financiers and country club plutocrats make up the donor elite of the Republican Party. So the Koch brothers, Koch and Koch. Koch of New York, Koch of Kansas, the Mercer family, you know them? They paid for Cruz. Sheldon Adelson, we'll get to him in a minute. So look, that's one group, an elite group. Another elite group are the neocon warmongers. Sheldon Adelson, $100 million, wants war in the Middle East again. You think Trump is not going to be influenced by $100 million? He's going to be profoundly influenced. Now, as a result of the, uh, the latest uh, primaries, I've introduced a new concept here, the Archie Bunkers. 
is the Archie Bunkers of New York, the Northeast, and coming up in New Jersey, right? These people are still backlashing against the Vietnam War and the hippies from 1968. Uh, so they're out of it, but there they are. The evangelicals, the bigots, the Elmer Gantries, what can we say? And the stoners, the anti-state libertarians, the people who thought that Ron Paul would give them not only marijuana, but also heroin, because that's what he ran on. Now look, here's the, this is the, the internal problem of the Republicans. The Republican donor elite, the Kachas, the Mercers, the Adelsons, and the rest, they have certain issues. Their issues are called deregulation, union busting, no collective bargaining, deregulation twice, that's how they would do it, limit liability, right, torts, whatever, tax windfalls, inversions, two trillion. There are two trillion dollars or three trillion in tax money stashed overseas. What does Trump want to do? He wants to reward those tax evaders to bring the money back. He says, I'll give you a tax break if you bring it back. You know what I would do? I would have a law that says if you don't bring it back next month, 50% is going to be collectible by the US Treasury. So get it back here fast. The shredding of the New Deal, of the Great Society, of the Obamacare, uh, social insurance, and other benefits, and indeed the Middle East War. So, that's what the Republican elite wants. Now, this is the subject of this book. What's the matter with Kansas? You know this? Yeah. Okay. Now, look. The crazed petty bourgeoisie is the base of Trump. Not blue-collar industrial workers, but the crazed petty bourgeoisie. These people are not bankers, but they're attached to bankers. If you're a stockbroker, a real estate broker, or an insurance broker. You're a petty bourgeois, but you're of the kind that's directly attached to finance capital. Perot, what did he have? Retired military, real estate brokers, 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 and so forth. Tea Party, same thing. Trump, the same thing. Don't tell me that these are industrial workers, because they are not. Fire workers. Huh? Fire workers. Okay, or, or sometimes they're ex-workers. They're people who have given up on being a worker. So, uh, and we can look into this. I got my slides a little bit out of order, but I'm hoping to save the day. Okay, here we go. Nate Silver of the 538 column, I think it's called. He shows that Trump's working class support uh, is a myth. That the average household income, median household income, of a Trump voter in the primaries is $72,000 per family. This is based on estimates from exit polls and Census Bureau. This is more than the Hillary average, she's the lowest, and it's more than the Bernie average. So 44% of the Trump supporters have college degrees. It's also not exactly what you've been told. 29% of American adults have college degrees, so he's well above it. The Kasich voters were the richest. We saw those Kasich, Kasich uh, voters, right? They're really, those guys are well healed. We saw them in, in the Washington suburbs. That's $91,000 median income. Cruz, $73,000. He's just about at the same level as Trump. And the national median household income, $56,000. Hillary and Sanders tied around $61,000. So these people, these Trump hypocrites, right? They're saying, oh, we're really hurting. We're really, it's terrible. We can't take it anymore. What do you mean? You're making $72,000 a year, right, compared to these other uh, groups. So Reagan Democrats, I think this is a fraud. The Trump supporters are the typical crazed petty bourgeoisie that we saw with Trump, with, uh, with uh, Perot, and the Tea Party. Okay, now. A quote from the Times. This is worth reading. The basis of fascism, Italian or German Nazism, and these are more, there's just a kind of a continuum of intensity between them. The fascist middle class is the mass base of fascism and Nazism. It's well known. There's a book, The Nazi Voter. Okay, in Italy as in Germany, the sufferings of the middle classes drove them to revolt. This is this is a Trotskyist writer uh, of the 1930s and 40s. 
The sufferings of the middle class drove them to revolt. And this was rather more suffering than, than we've seen here so far, at least. The petty bourgeois is ordinarily of peaceful temperament. As long as his economic situation is endurable, or he has hope that it can be improved, the petty bourgeois is respectful of the ex established order and looks for the improvement of his condition through reforms. But when he must abandon all hope of improvement by legal and peaceful methods, what happens? When he perceives that the crisis from which he is suffering is not temporary, but is a crisis of the whole social system, or the system, and one that can be resolved only by a radical transformation of the system, then he, easily enraged and ready to give himself over to the most extreme measure. So Daniel Guerin, fascism and big capital. I know there's some, there are some bigots around who think that it's, it's a bad book because the guy became a homosexual when he got very late in life. I can't understand what this is all about. So there he is. The idea, the petty bourgeois goes ape. And when a petty bourgeois goes ape, a middle class person, they reach for their black shirt, their brown shirt, their jackboots, and the rest. And that's Trump. That's the Trump phenomenon. And the people say, oh, we're so surprised because you passed this tipping point in the mind of the petty bourgeois, and now they think this is possible. Now, we showed you just a minute ago, and I'm sorry these are a little bit out of line. We showed you what the GOP elite issues are, right? Union busting, deregulation, tax cuts for the rich, Middle East war. Now, what are the base issues of the evangelicals and the others, right? The Archie Bunkers in this part of the country. So what do they want? We call these wedge issues. We can also call them rube bait. In other words, if I'm Koch sitting in Manhattan, I can't just go out and say, vote for my candidate because he wants to take your social security away. You've got to tell him, he's going to stop abortions. He's going to make sure you keep your guns. You're going to have school prayer. You're going to end the war on Christmas. Uh, we're going to have uh, no gay rights, no gay marriage. We're going to have strict controls on the bathrooms, <laughs> right? The urinals. Uh, you know, the, um, the, the Roman emperor of Vespasian, was the one who invented the pay toilet. You know this, right? Vespasian, look him up. As a matter of fact, in, in the Latin countries, the, the public toilet, generally for males, is called the Vespasiano, Vespasiano. Uh, and then when, when uh, Vespasian got the money from the pay toilets, they said, don't you find that money objectionable somehow? And he said, pecunia non olet, money has no smell. Give me more money. So this is now, this, this is the biggest commotion about public toilets since Vespasian. So racism, oh, and you gotta hate Obama. You gotta hate Obamacare. Look, I'd like to ask one of these guys, what is it about Obamacare you really don't like? Because I think they've forgotten. I think they, they've lost touch with that. They just hate it. Hatred of Hillary Clinton, of course. Build the future on the twin hatreds. And of course, the war on women. They wanna have the war on women because because this is their internal need. Here's the problem, though. The Republicans obviously work harder for the Wall Street financiers than they do for the rubes, the rubes being the rural bumpkins, right? Rednecks, whatever. The, the Republicans are working harder for Wall Street than they do for the rubes, so they neglect the rube bait issue. David Koch, sitting in his Penthouse supports gay rights. In other words, as a person living in Manhattan, he's for gay rights. What's he going to be? GOP billionaires do not care about the wedge issue concerns of the southern, rural, and Great Basin churchgoers. They don't care. Dwindling const uh, constituency for shredding Medicare and Social Security. In other words, somehow people thought that was for the poor, and they're not poor, or they're not that old, and they won't need it. Now they're going to see. It's not just for the poor, it's for you, and it's, you're going to need it soon, so this is dwindling. And, of course, the Republicans fundamentally neglect small business and cater to the banks. So this is, this is their internal 
crisis that they, they needed to put more work into pandering to their pe the crazed petty bourgeois, but they didn't do it. Now here's the other thing, is that the GOP demagogy is simply not realistic. It, it excites these naive reactionaries, but they can't deliver, right? They say, give us your votes in 2014, and we'll make, uh, well, we'll make Obama one-term president, we'll repeal Obamacare. So the reactionary activists, the Archie Bunkers, are left with nothing but their rage, largely, I would say. Now, cultural populism is a fraud. Cultural populism is really a fraud. It means Trump appeals to the resentment against the elites. He says, those people are so stupid. Don't look now. This is exactly what Mussolini and Hitler did. They say, the ruling class is impotent, sold out, thieves, corrupt, stupid, whatever you want. They resent the elites. And why do you hate the elites? Because the elites look down on you, right? You have no respect from the elites. Plus, there is this thing about the status panic. Everybody goes through it, right? If I'm an Archie Bunker, if I lose my job, then my position in society goes down. My wife will never let me forget about this, right? All this stuff. And there, therefore, we get these terms, right? The rhino, the Republican in name only, and the, of course, the cuckservative. We've had long debates about this. It means the cuckolds, right? The, the, the cuckold Republican who, well, has been betrayed at the most intimate level. So uh, these, are their this, these are the terms you're going to find on the, uh, on the internet. Now, um, there is also this appeal with Trump to ethnocultural or white supremacy. But they do it in funny ways. Like, if you, whatever state you go to, I guarantee you, they'll say, we represent, we're the Republican Party here in Indianapolis, and we represent Indiana values. What are Indiana <laughs> values? Savage says, borders language culture. Yeah, what culture do you represent, right? And hamburgers, what, what is it? <laughs> what do you represent? Uh, the guys from Jamaica, okay? Just like Trump. Watch out for Jamaica. You know what I'm talking about? It's in Queens. What's the matter with you people? You don't know anything. The whole map of the world is in Queens. <laughs> so you have uh, Savage is from Jamaica High School, and Trump, of course, is from Jamaica Estates. You need to know that. The Jamaica fascist. Okay. <laughs> class-based thinking, Daniela, Sheriff uh, Whitty pointed out, the class-based thinking is not allowed. You've got to think in ethnic categories or somehow ethnocultural, right, like hippies or something. But we need class-based thinking. In other words, people, bankers, right? Fight bankers, is what was well said. If you're not fighting bankers, you're spinning your wheels, you're cutting your throat. So this is, all this is similar to Hitler's ethnic solidarity, right? Can we say that Donald Trump is the Aryan candidate for president? It looks like a lot of blondes on that stage. I don't know. Is there something going on there? <laughs> Identity politics. Now, this is for the leftists. They won't like this. Identity politics is cultural populism, but in sort of in reverse, as practiced by oppressed minorities. So like, you've got to worry how many people from my ethno-cultural group are in the textbook. This is not what you should worry about. Rather, we recommend economic populism. Bring home the bacon. Serious improvements in the daily life of people. Cultural, uh, material. This is a big word. Eudynamic, eudaimonic legitimation. Deliver the goods. Bring home the bacon. The governing system is justified by its ability to deliver the things we really need. Full employment, rising standard of living, longer lifespan, more years of education. Material and cultural progress, public health. This is what politics should be about, wouldn't you say? Because this is all rational. It's, all, it's an appeal to reason. It's an appeal to enlightened self-interest. What more could we want? Greater economic equality is subsumed by all of that. If you've got a situation of general uplift, then you can pursue equality without, uh, you know, uh, redistribution of some kind that's going to get you a big backlash. Now, the Trump supporters have 
as far as I can see, some legitimate economic beefs. They do. There has been a decline in the U.S. standard of living by 65%, about two-thirds, from 1970 to 2010. Minus two-thirds. I've, I've got this in a book. Other people have proved it. We have had deindustrialization and the loss of millions of factory jobs. We've had the runaway shop, the foreign sweatshop. We've had the decimation of unions in this country. The minimum wage has withered to a pale shadow of its former self. And if you're in the lower middle class and you want to get your kid into college, there is precious little help being given in the way of the Pell Grants and, and all the things there used to be. Right? There is no more National Defense Education Act. Not that counts for any of us. Now, the Republican ideology is in crisis. William F. Buckley had a reactionary synthesis. It really all comes from the goon squads of Henry Ford and this guy Bennett. Big business, the Chamber of Commerce, anti-worker ideology, that's what they've had. Supply side, trickle down. Oh, who's advising Trump on economics right now? Larry Kudlow. Larry Kudlow and Stephen Moore of the Wall Street Journal, two reactionary supply-siders, okay? So all this stuff about Trump being different, it's a fraud. Tax cuts for the rich, free markets, free trade, limited government, it's all a fraud. Corporate welfare is what they should put. Now, a Trump presidency would represent a realignment not towards the singing tomorrows that I have tried to portray, which I think are completely realistic, but a realignment into fascism. I've always called it the permanent austerity dictatorship. Here's what you have to do. Limit the right to vote. You know how to do it. Make sure that there are not enough machines. Make sure that they're far away. Make sure that the hours are very short. Long lines. People give up. They go home. Wipe out unions. Easy. Trump wants to do it. Trump is an enemy of the, even of the Taft-Hartley Act. He wants to go beyond that to make every state a right-to-work state. And if you don't believe it, he practices it at his damn casinos in these uh, dens of iniquity, right? Sodom and Gomorrah. He wants to prevent you from criticizing that by saying he wants to tighten or loosen the libel laws so that you will not be able to carry out the First Amendment. Right? Your free speech will be taken away by the Nazi Trump. And you should take a look at Trump's Supreme Court list. We were talking about this before. This is a list of mini Scalias. They'll rubber stamp anything. The big Nazi judge was a guy called Freisler. Right? The people who tried to, put, to kill Hitler were tried by this guy Freisler. And he condemned them all to death by piano wire. All right. They'll approve anything. There's, there's, he's also got some tricks in there. He's like, he's got um, a top Mormon, Lee. Judge Lee is on the list. His brother is a reactionary senator. So the top Mormon is on there. And the idea is it's Trump's attempt to get the Mormons who have been opposing him to get them on board. So there's a lot of bribery going on. So the fascist Trump can become dictator under color of law just as Mussolini and Hitler both did. He doesn't need tanks in the streets. He's going to do it nice and legal-like, they used to say. Oh, here we are, the 11 tyrants. Trump's lily-white, lily-white list of Supreme Court justices. This is from Heritage Foundation, the Federalist Society, and the Confederate Senator Sessions from the Southern Jurisdiction Scottish Rite Freemasons. So here's, the, uh, here's a, a Santorum follower, Hardiman of Pennsylvania, and Mike Lee. Here we go. Thomas Lee, brother of Mike Lee. They're both implicated in the Mountain Meadows Massacre, if you know anything about that. Another time, maybe. Uh, Sykes of Wisconsin. Her husband was the anti-Trump radio host. So this is a way to calm her down and calm him down for the election. And uh, Don Willett is supposedly some kind of a uh, maker of sarcastic tweets. But this is, these are all uh, state judges. There's no Ivy League stuff here. This is just basic uh, you know, reactionary jurisprudence tending towards fascism, as we tried to point. Now, 
The Democratic fault lines are clear, but we need to get some more uh, important issues. A 1% Wall Street sales tax to fund social insurance. An 11 million job Marshall Plan for the cities in rural America, right, what we talked about earlier today. We want to ban uh, collateralized debt obligations and credit default swaps. We need to seize the Federal Reserve. Bernie never talks about the Federal Reserve. Why not already? Even Senator Warren talked about getting money, cheap credit from the, the Federal Reserve. So 6.5 trillion, 1% 100-year federal credit for infrastructure and education, same thing for production. So 30 million new productive jobs in general, 10 million in the entry-level pool, $15 minimum wage, 15% protective tariff. That's a winner. That's like Lincoln, right? Now Bernie has some of these, right? He's, he talks about some kind of a sales tax, but then it, he's never explained it. He's never motivated it. He's never been pedagogical. And money in politics. Look, if you don't want money in politics, you've got to prevent those guys from getting the money in the first place. Once they have the money, they can buy what they want. See, there are too many billionaires with too much to give. Use the estate tax. I call it the oligarch tax. Capital gains, corporate income tax. Reduce the numbers and the resources of billionaires. Why, why do we have Trump? We shouldn't have him. How about this? A tax on super PACs. Tax money going through super PACs. And remove the money well before it can be used to buy elections. I think that's a lot more realistic than some of the stuff. And I'm sorry, we have actually with that come to the end of our presentation. So thank you for your kind attention. And uh, do we have any time? No, but do we have time for questions? How long? Yeah, you tell me. I'm trying to. Okay, so we have 10 minutes. So, Bob Fatrakis, again, fine uh, activist. Question on the realignment without the sort of race-based war on drugs and the specific targeting uh, that's now being rediscussed and the sort of permanent disenfranchisement of voters in Florida and the jail population, uh, would there have been uh, that realignment? Look, the, the realignment, it, it, one of the problems in studying this stuff is that you're living through it and it's slow. In other words, the perceived time of a lifetime is slow compared to these things that last 32, 36, or 40 years. There was some, as I said, I was hoping in 2004, and then when it arrived with Obama, uh, it seemed to be so loaded with all the baggage that Obama had of Wall Street and the Trilateral Commission that there was a question about whether that was any realignment at all. But I think now, in retrospect, it was. In other words, that 2008 was a watershed election, and in retrospect, that will become more obvious than it is now. So thanks to Obama, whatever else he did or didn't do, we made the transition now into a new phase. The Southern strategy no longer works. The demographic doom of the Republican Party is fairly easy to see. But again, we don't seem to have enough people who know this stuff and who want to push it and make it happen faster. Because it could have happened in 2004, I've remained convinced, right? If it hadn't been for that vote fraud that you studied more than anybody, it would have been President Kerry. And again, Kerry, of course, you look at him, he's also in his own way a monster, I guess. But still, that would have been the change in the slope of the playing field, right? Not so much the players, but the change of the slope. In other words, is it going to be an uphill fight for which party based on what? So I'm hoping now that we, uh, again, Call Trump a fascist. Call him a Nazi. Nothing else will do. If you don't call him a Nazi, you're lying. If you don't call him a Nazi, you're not telling the people what they need to know. Don't have people like this on your you know, talk show on cable TV unless you beat them up as fascists and Nazis at the very beginning. So everybody can see, oh my God, he's ostracizing that Nazi. He's really giving it to him, right? So people have to understand that this collegiality, right, this chummy laughter that we see on CNN or MSNBC, they go, oh, 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 there's that Trump guy in here, right? Or, you know, normally there are people who are mentally disturbed, right, for Trump. But in they come, and you, you can't just treat them as normal 
normal people. So the, uh, the problems that you point to, the mass incarceration, the prison industrial complex, the, uh, the drug laws and so forth, I see those as those are issues that I think can, can be and will be successfully addressed now in the coming transition because because of the weakness of Obama, we're still in a transition whereas we really shouldn't be, right? We're actually eight years into a new cycle and this is not so, uh, so evident. But if Trump goes down to the defeat that I hope, it will be evident. Then you'll see, then everybody will say, wait a minute, with Obama we've actually made the transition from the racist Southern strategy, which is where all of these measures came from, into something new, right? New land uh, ahead. So that's why, that's why I think it's, it's worth being more of an opti uh, activist than you ever were, right? Throw every goddamn thing you got into it now in the next six months, down with Trump, and then there's going to be a new world because there are going to be two Democratic parties, not one. Yeah, hang on. Who else was uh, in the corner? Well, I just wondered, I'd like to comment a little bit more on what are some signs of the Republican self-destruction? I don't know. I think I had a whole slide about that before you came in. Why didn't do you I? think the Democrats will not also implode? Well, I, I, what I've been describing is the split of the Democrats into two parts. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure it's going to be tough going and everything like that. Bernie supporters are hanging on. That's the thing. He's not giving up, and it's, it's going to start a movement. Even if, even if Hillary's nominated, which we believe has been through fraudulent elections, we believe that, that uh, Bernie has actually won. Right. I'd like to hear Bernie talk about this, though. If that's what he really thinks, then God damn it, come out and say that on TV. I'm sorry. I, I've, had, I've seen Bernie Sanders on Face the Nation, and he could have even said, and by the way, this was vote for it. We tried in, in Iowa, we tried. The chairwoman of the Tax Wall Street Party put out a call, which was picked up in various press, saying we want a recount of Iowa. And you could see then Bernie was not fighting. Uh, Bernie was out to lunch in Iowa. Huh? I'm sorry. They have to. Then they have to go public. They've got to get to the microphones. All right. What? I know, but you've got to fight. You've got to fight. Okay. Uh huh. Good. Please give us a card or something on the way. Yes. All right. What? I think Bernie just has to say it. He's the head of the, 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 the group there. Um, it seems to me that uh, what we see going on here in the, in the U.S. between the people voting for Trump and Sanders is part of a bigger sort of global insurrection. You've been there. You were in Iceland. Uh, you arranged to have uh, uh, Varoufakis speak with us at the, down at INN and so forth. You know, Syriza in Greece, uh, whether these have been successful or not is another story, but they represent all this anger. The, the vote in Portugal, Ireland, Marine Le Pen in France. Uh, Marine Le Pen is a fascist, and her father. No, 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 I'm not talking about the, I'm saying that anger that. Uh, anger, I'm sorry, Tom. Anger will not do is a category. Right? There's no anger? anger. Is that what you're saying? There's well, lots of anger. Right, I'm talking about the pure anger, anger means fascism. Right. Well, if I can programmatically educated can be of some use. I, I think anger is not just enough. enumerated a bunch of things that people should be angry about, and uh, you know, you have a way for them to engage with the fact that all of these things are happening without being angry about it, I'd like to hear it. But in the meantime, Jeremy Corbyn in England, I think that there are people are rejecting and waking up around the world. And I think that this, the US version of it with Trump and, and Sanders is part of a bigger thing. Do you think that there's any uh, coherence to the people getting tired of this uh, financial fascism and oligarchy around the world? In, the, in the, a crisis which is, it's long been economic, it's long been a crisis of morality, and culture, now it becomes also a political crisis, different groups move in different directions. Certain groups move towards, what can we say, progressive New Deal type uh, pro-labor alternatives, and others go towards fascism. And the problem with Trump is that he represents a very evident, I, I think beyond all discussion, form of fascism. So some people respond, we just had the, the thing about the, the crazed petty bourgeois going nuts in the crisis, and really turning into a rather different person, right? Undergoing a personality change. Uh, and that's what we have with, uh, with the Trump voters. But I, I, don't, I don't see what's happening because of Trump. I think if it wasn't Trump, it would be somebody else. Trump just happened to step up to the plate. It could be right or left. 
Marie Le Pen, uh, Jeremy Corbyn, you know, uh, the, the, the anger against neoliberal economics, uh, is that not real? Or? I think you're, the Italian proverb says you're making one fascio out of all the grass. The ogni erba un fascio. And of course the fascio means what it sounds like. So I don't think you can, you can equate all of these. We could say all of these things were happening in the year of our Lord 2016, but I don't, I don't think that gets us anywhere. Obviously, there's a severe crisis of civilization. Some groups wish to turn the clock back towards barbarism and savagery, and others, as we try to do, since we're aware of this choice, we try to lead towards some modicum of the preservation of civilization against the uh, overweening power of fascist billionaires. Yeah, right? I wasn't talking about the choice, I'm just on the underlying uh, thing that's propelling all this. I thought in common they all have a rejection of neoliberal economics at this point and, and austerity. Yeah, but look, as the Arab Spring has shown us, don't throw away what you have unless you're rather certain that the alternative is going to be something better because there are things that are worse than the status quo. Call the status quo what you want. When yeah. In other words, what is tr Trump is not an outsider. He's just a uh, hometown billionaire from Manhattan who owns all these buildings. I'm talking about the underlying thing that's lifting Trump. I, I actually, I was going to say, you sound rather like a Marxist. In other words, that there's, no, that there's an economic motor that's going to determine all these things. No, is, it, is it not true that in common... They seem the world, to be happening simultaneously. Neoliberal economics is very bad. There is no, better, no bigger opponent of neoliberal economics than I am. Is that what Trump's economics against? is worse than neoliberal economics. We just heard a very interesting lecture. Sorry you missed it. Uh, that the, I just said I have 45 minutes on that. 45 minutes, the idea being that there are things worse than the existing order. And Trump represents the medium to bring humanity into the jaws of these billionaires well, at a lower level. Look, why, are you a supporter of Trump? Do you support Trump? I, I am against Hillary at all costs. Uh, so you're willing to take Trump? You're open to Trump? Uh, I'm open to the election's not here yet. And this, of course, is the issue of fascism. So choose well when you choose. Well, let's see what happens. It's not going to be no real. You support Trump every week on the radio show. So there we have it. Fascism and anti-fascism before your eyes. And it's a big issue.